Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hey, everybody. So today's topic is actually inspired by one of the new commanders released in Commander Legends. If you take a look at Blim Comedic Genius, its core mechanic, giving away your own permanence, is the same as Zedru the Greathearted, the older commander released in the original commander precons that allows you to pay an activation cost to give an opponent a permanent you control. What's different about these two commanders is mainly the color identity. And moving that mechanic into black gives the deck a ton of downside enchantments that can easily kill your opponents. Um, and that completely changes how the deck plays. So despite reusing an older mechanic on another commander, Blim is one of the commanders from Commander Legends that people are most excited about. And he introduces a new archetype that brings many cards into the format, like, say, Immortal Coil or uh, Nefarious Lich that otherwise wouldn't see play. So today's topic is all about commanders that could be color shifted into a new color identity, and that would either like create a new archetype or potentially even fix the problems of an existing commander. I think that innovation can sometimes be overvalued in commander design. And I think that there's a lot of room to expand the format just by taking existing mechanics and then tweaking them slightly, giving them slightly different colors. And I think that's a, a great way to easily expand the options available to commander players. So before we jump into today's topic, we're going to be we're going to be looking at a handful of commanders that we think could be shifted into a new color. And specifically, we're going to be looking at ones that must make sense within the new color identities slice of the color pie. We don't want to give uh, white unrestricted card draw or we don't want to give black ramp. We, we want to do things that make sense within the new color identity, but which create a new archetype that enables different cards than any other deck. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, with that out of the way, uh, let's jump into these commanders. Uh, yeah, the first one is really spicy. Yeah, go for it. You want to you wanna tell us this one? Yeah, so this first one is Darien, King of Cheldor, a human soldier, a 3-3 three, three for 6 mana, 4 white-white. Whenever you're dealt damage, you may create that many 1-1 one, one white soldier creature tokens. So, been around for a while, not the most popular commander, but what do you think would uh, help color shift-wise? Well, I think the, the main issue with Darien, King of Cheldor, as it stands, is that it's in white, in mono white, it's a pretty reactive ability. Um, aside from a handful of cards like Ancient Tomb, Tarnished Citadel, Mana Crypt, um, Jade Monolith, there's there's really only a few cards in mono white that allow you to trigger his ability yourself. So most of the time, it's relying on your opponents. And you know, if your opponents are given the choice of attacking player A and giving them a bunch of soldiers, or attacking player B and giving them nothing, they'll probably choose the latter. So, I mean, it's it's good in the sense that it will divert attacks from you as long as it remains on the board. 
but it also is kind of unfortunate in that like it promises that you're going to get soldiers but how it plays out is like oh okay that's actually never going to happen and yeah 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 unless your opponent is like really gunning for you yeah so with that being said i think that this ability could be a lot of fun in a color identity that actually can damage itself fairly effectively so i was thinking that if darian were to be color shifted into red it would give you a whole lot of new options a lot of play just way more things to do with the deck the color shifted version is going to be much the same uh four red red for a three three legendary human soldier uh, whenever you're dealt damage, you may create that many 1-1 one, one red human creature tokens. And I chose human in this case because it you know, flavorfully fit and because there actually is some uh, mechanical benefit to the tokens being humans. The most fun things you can do are there's a bit of combo potential going on. For example, Kieran Negotiations is 2 red red for an enchantment. Tap an untapped creature you control. Kieran Negotiations deals 1 damage to target player. So what you can do is if you have cure negotiations on the board and you cast your Darien, Darien can tap to deal one damage to yourself. You get a token. That token can deal one damage to yourself. And then you keep going until you've spent all but one life and you have an army of tokens. And from there, of course, you can do the, you can do all this at the end of an opponent's turn right before you untap. So you just untap with 39 guys. Or you can try to go for a win immediately if you've already set up with something like a Perforos on the board or an Impact Tremors on the board so that as you're damaging yourself, your opponents are also taking damage from these, these enchantments that you put on the board. Similarly, things like Vigilante Justice, three and a red for an enchantment, Whenever a human enters the battlefield under your control, Vigilante Justice deals one damage to any target. That'll work in a similar fashion. Darian will enter the battlefield, ping you for one, create a token. That token can ping you for one, and on and on until you've spent all but one life and generated a huge army of dudes. Warstorm Surge will work similarly. Pandemonium is a little bit more risky, but because... Uh, yeah, high risk, high reward. <laughs> yeah, you can't go down quite as low because then your opponents can just pandemonium to murder you. But there's also things like Volcano Hellion, two red red for a 6-5 Hellion. It has Echo X, where X is your life total. And when it enters the battlefield, it deals an amount of damage of your choice to you and target creature, and the damage can't be prevented. So it'll come in, you can basically choose any amount of damage to deal to yourself. That'll create a bunch of tokens off of Darien, and it'll also just kill whatever is most threatening on the board. So I'm honestly, there's, there's many, many cards that combo really well with this ability. And most of them are things you'd never normally see play in commander. Like was the last time you saw someone put here negotiations in their deck? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's also some fun non-infinite things you can do like orcish cannoneers, orcish artillery, goblin artillery. All of these are one red, red for a one, three, that can tap to deal two damage to any target and three damage to you. So if you choose yourself as the target, it'll just tap, deal five damage, make five creatures, which is a, a pretty good rate. Yeah, I think one of the things too is there's a bunch of little things throughout the years where kind of the balance on it was that, I guess in the same way as like Orcish Artillery, it was dealing damage to yourself. So all of a sudden, like having a commander that makes that balance kind of shift and like kind of puts it more in your favor like that's 
really cool to me. I think that that's like a much more interesting realm to play inside of instead of just... Uh, I hope my opponents just, attack me. Exactly. Just like purely reactive. Uh, I'm going to sit here and if you attack me, I get some boys. So I, I think there's a lot of fun play with this deck. We've got a sample list posted in the episode description, so feel free to check that out. But I think it's a great design space, and I think it makes sense within red's color pie. Like, there's nothing about making tokens that wouldn't make sense in red. Triggering off of damage dealt uh, hasn't really been, like, consigned to one specific color identity either. At bare minimum, every color has saboteurs. And in some ways, triggering off of you taking damage, that's something that, like, a few colors have done. Like, we've had uh, No Mercy in black. We've had the blue version of No Mercy. We have... White has Darien. There's like it seems like so far every color has had some little bit of play in that space. So I don't see any reason why red can't. I, I think a good precedent for this ability in red is Bloodhound from Mercury oh, yeah. Masks. Yeah, which is two and a red for a one-one dog. Whenever you're dealt damage, put that many plus and plus one counters on Bloodhound, and at the beginning of your end step, remove all plus and plus one counters from Bloodhound. So it's it's not without precedent, and I think it would make for really fun unique deck oh yeah this next one is really fun so this is thassa deep dwelling three in a blue for a six five legendary enchantment creature god it has indestructible as long as your devotion to blue is less than five it isn't a creature at the beginning of your end step exile up to one other target creature you control then return that card to the battlefield under your control and you can pay three and a blue to tap another target creature both of these these abilities, the blinking ability and tapping down creatures, make sense in white. And I think that white would give you a lot of play with this commander. So there's a lot of really powerful, fun uh, white ETB triggers that currently, if if you want to build like white blink, you're going to have to dip into other colors. You're going to have to be in like Rune, which is a Bant color identity, or like Yorion or Brago, which is a white blue color identity. So I think there's room in the format for a mono white blink deck. This one like works pretty well. There's just a whole lot of fun things you can do. For example, Stonehorn Dignitary every turn to just lock somebody out of combat. Blinking Skyclave Apparition is a really powerful way to control the board. Springjack Shepherd is some like a card that probably no one remembers, but it uh, has Chroma. And so it counts all of the white pips on all of your casting costs when it enters the battlefield, basically old devotion. And it gives you a goat for each of the white pips. And there's a few other cards that make tokens when they enter and they're all, they're all pretty good. (laughs) There's definitely some powerful token generators. There's also um, a couple other things that work off of devotion. Like for example, um, Oh, Evangel of Heliod. Yeah, that's Ev- a really good one. Exactly. Evangel of Heliod, Reverent Hoplite. Oh. Both of which create one ones equal to your devotion to white. A couple other fun techie things. You can also uh, work with Leaves the Battlefield ability- abilities. So Vesper Lark, for example, or Revelark. By blinking them, you get their reanimation abilities. There's also Stalking Leonin, which is two and a white for a 3 3 cat archer. When it enters the battlefield, secretly choose an opponent and you reveal the player you chose to exile target creature that's attacking you if it's controlled by the chosen player. Activate this ability only once. So even though it's it's not really an ETB trigger to kill the creature, you can reset him, potentially choose a new opponent with your color shifted Thassa. 
I've actually I played Stalking Leonin in a few lists that blank, and it's pretty good, especially as you get down into the late game. You just kind of blink him, and you end up one v one with someone, and he's just a kill spell. He's just it's a deterrent, and it becomes really hard to deal with if you can blink him at instant speed. So I think this is a fun commander. Definitely creates a new archetype that's using slightly different cards than elsewhere. And we've got a list that we're going to post in the episode description if you want to see what that looks like. You want to move on to the next guy? All right. Uh, this next commander also is a, another shift into mono white. So this commander is Shirei Shizo's Caretaker. Four and a black for a 2-2 legendary spirit. Whenever a creature with power one or less is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step if Shirei is still on the battlefield. So reanimating creatures with small power is definitely within the white's slice of the color pie. As we just mentioned, Vesper Lark and Revelark both kind of do this ability. So I think it makes perfect sense within mono white. And white also concentrates a lot of its power in its small creatures. So there's just many, many things you can do. And after having built the list, I can tell you like, oh my God, this seems really annoying to play against. <laughs> I think that one of the weaknesses of Shirei as a commander in Mono Black is that it costs five mana and your deck kind of revolves around it. So if your opponents are able to keep Shirei off the battlefield, then your deck doesn't do a whole lot. But white happens to be really, really good at protecting creatures. And so if you get like a benevolent bodyguard down, which is a single white mana for a 1-1 human cleric, uh, sacrifice it. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. There's also Selfless Savior, single white mana for a 1-1 dog. Uh, you can sacrifice it and so make it so that another target creature you control gains indestructible until end of turn. There's actually a couple versions of each of those effects, like Moonlit Strider or Resolute Watchdog. But mm -hmm. in, in any case, if you get one of those onto the battlefield, it's going to be so so difficult to remove your Shirei. It's basically got like the Kira Great Glass Spinner ability where the first thing they try to do to kill your commander is just not going to work. You can protect it pretty well. You know, once you have that Shirei engine kind of guaranteed and like trucking along, then there's just a lot of messed up things you can do. Like you're on color for Kami of False Hope, which is a single white mana for a 1-1. One -one. You can sacrifice it to prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. So if you're able to do that once per turn, then nobody's going to be dealing any combat damage to you. Uh, similarly, there's Children of Corliss, a single white mana for a 1-1 human rebel cleric, and you can sacrifice it to gain life equal to the amount of life you've lost this turn. So that will, will also kind of negate any of the damage you're dealt in a turn, unless it happens to be lethal damage. Yeah, the one instance where he doesn't do anything. Yeah, but beyond that, there's a ton of one power creatures that come into the battle, that enter the battlefield and like gain a significant amount of life. Like gaining three life four times per round of turns is actually like pretty significant. And so there's a lot of things like that that will just really lock up your defenses and just make it really, really oppressive for your opponents to try to interact with you or, or kill you. Yeah, it's interesting because it becomes like less about burglar rats and kill spells and stuff and more into like a proactive, like I have this board and it's going to be here 
forever kind of deal like it that the play becomes less like shire is giving me a bunch of value that i'll eventually use to take you out into like shire has created an unkillable machine and now i will somehow kill you <laughs> with all my one ones yeah there's some of the same creatures that work really well in the color shifted thassa list are good here as well because you still have access to reverend hoplite because it has only one power uh, same with evangel of heliod so once you've sort of got your your lock into place and it's steadily have like protected your life total you can focus on building up an army of dudes and plan on winning that way because when you when you're doing evangel of heliod four times per round of turns it gets really crazy really yeah really scary quite quickly yeah and then like the splicers tend to only have one power uh and the splicers are all creatures that enter and create a three three golem Mm -hmm. so if you even then just if you just all of a sudden have nine power every time it comes back around to your turn like eventually that's just gonna be enough to overwhelm the board and you're just gonna kill everybody yeah uh, i think probably the biggest well the the biggest downsides relative to the original shirei list um is that you have fewer sack outlets to work with so that's a little bit of a challenge like you you lose out on you know attrition and mind slash and all those great black sack outlets and what you get in exchange is basically fanatical devotion and martyr's cause, both of which like don't really generate anything of value. They, they're yeah. just useful for like protecting things or preventing damage, which your deck was kind of already good at. Yeah, you don't gain much in the way of sack outlets. Yeah, and and then also is significantly less focused on interacting with your opponents. Like white doesn't have many good cheap etb like you know destroy target creature or destroy target artifact or enchantment so especially not with like one power so whereas your your black shiray list had things like bone shredder or um big game hunter oh yeah big game hunter yeah your 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 black shiray list had access to things like that your white list is gonna be like you've got fiend hunter but that's kind of it you're just going to be much more defensive and lo- much less able to stop what your opponents are doing. But moving forward to like looking at these, I, I think the drawbacks are kind of important because I think the key thing here is is not that this is the perfect list, like putting this in white made it perfect. I think Shire before, like what we talked about on the episode last week too, is like a really cool deck. I think just the idea that Shire in mono white opens up this like kind of new play pattern and like like a different build a different use for a lot of these white cards that kind of don't see play all the time or or see play in disjointed decks like coming together here is like a very unique play experience that doesn't really exist right now oh absolutely like this brings things like cathedral sanctifier or benevolent bodyguard and makes them like front and center important cards in a deck whereas before they were like not on anyone's radar as commander playable. So even though I think like Mono White Shire is not going to be CEDH by any stretch of the imagination, this is definitely a new deck in the format. Uh, and it gives players who are really into like Pillow Fort, I think this is like a more interesting version of Pillow Fort that's more difficult to interact with. Uh, so, yeah. So I think that would be a lot of fun for some players. Yeah, it's definitely like proactive Pillow Fort. I would say, which doesn't, I don't actually know. Does I, I don't 
really think there's a good proactive pillow fort commander right now, but I'd have to look. And so I don't know. I'm really into this deck just because of that. Yeah. So great addition to the format. I think there's a an opportunity for uh, for fun gameplay there, and it would do something to to give mono white better options when it comes to commanders. And uh, just so everyone knows, we are not color shifting every every commander to mono white. Uh, this next <laughs> one is is a good example of that. So can I, can I read this guy off? Sure, go for it. So yeah, this is a crowd favorite. This is the Gitrog monster. A 6-6 six, six death touch frog horror for three black green. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice the Gitrog monster unless you sacrifice a land. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. So, Gitrog Monster, uh, I'm going to say that I wasn't quite sure why he was, he was a black card when he was printed, or when it was printed, you know? Yeah, and I think making him black, well, let me put it this way. If you look at, say, Lord Windgrace list, there's almost no black cards in them. Like interacting with lands is not a really a huge component of black's color pie. Wind Graceless, the only black cards it tends to run are like the Gitrog monster and Worm Harvest. So black doesn't really offer a lot to a land style deck. And in fact, like giving it a black color identity makes the deck, in my opinion, a bit less fun because once you have access to black, you have access to Dakmore Salvage. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So Dakmore Salvage is a land originally printed in uh, Future Sight. It enters the battlefield, taps, taps for a black, and it has Dredge 2. So if you would draw a card, you can mill two cards instead. If you do, return this card from your graveyard to your hand. What that means is if you have a discard outlet, you can discard Dakmore Salvage, uh, the land going, this Stackmore Salvage going to the graveyard will trigger the Gitrog monster, and then you can replace that draw with this dredge and put Dakmore Salvage back into your hand. So you're back where you started, except you've milled two cards. If any of those two cards was a land, you also get to draw an additional card off of that. So if you keep throwing, going through this cycle, you're going to mill your entire library, draw some number of cards, and then winning with like your deck in your graveyard in a blacklist is not too difficult. There's a couple lines you can take from there. Oh yeah. But the the existence of this like really, really easy to assemble combo has kind of warped the Gitrog monster decks. And I think this card was designed to be just like, sort of like a fun, grindy, crack my fetch, get some value. Oh, that's cool. But what it's kind of morphed into is like a CEDH combo deck. If you look at EDH rec, uh, Deckmore Salvage is in 87% of the 1857 Gitrog decks on the site. So it's overwhelming majority of these decks are building in this combo, which kind of like negates everything that happened in the game up to that point um, and just makes it about finding Deckmore Salvage as quickly as possible, getting the combo going and like, oops, I win. So it, it really like negates the the grind that I think the Gitrog monster was intended to create. And honestly, like that was the thing I was most excited for when I saw the Gitrog monster. This card was spoiled and I remember thinking like, oh, okay, well I don't know why it's black, but like this seems like a cool deck, and then as soon as you put Dakmore Salvage 
into the list, it becomes kind of like a chore. You're kind of like, oh no, I drew Dagmore Salvage. Uh, I guess I win now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What we, we've suggested is color shifting the Gitrog monster into a green-red color identity. Because not only does red have uh, some solid rewards for um, for landfall decks, like for example, it's got Omnath, Locus of Rage, it's got Veilicut Exploration, it's got Rada, Heart of Keld. So like some natural synergies with land decks, but it also has just a ton of discard outlets that are really, really good at triggering the Gitrog monster. So mm. by, by shifting the Gitrog monster into a green-red color identity, you get access to things like Borborg Most Enraged, Molten Vortex, Seismic Assault, Tectonic Reformation, all of these things that allow you to discard lands for value. So you're getting like a card off of your Tectonic Reformation and a card off of the Gitrog monster when you're activating this. Um, you also get plenty of spells that are discard outlets like Thrill of Possibility, Cathartic Reunion, Magmatic Insight, Tormenting Voice, Wild Guess. So, so many ways to turn these like draw twos into draw threes. And, and honestly, that really like starts breaking things too. Like if you are drawing a bunch of cards and every time you pitch a land to like an Ayula's influence or like a a uh, seismic assault i'll use seismic assault because that's actually a little bit even more busted like if every time you for free deal two damage to something you also draw a card like that that's insane <laughs> like the value that you get off of this by having the Gitrog monster down goes through the roof because kind of like nick was saying the ways in which red has decided to or wizards has decided red interacts with lands is not so much like landfall a little bit of landfall yes uh not so much ramping but a lot of like sacking lands and discarding cards and like if you look at like the red cavalier it counts lands in your graveyard so what does that mean that means you're you're kind of expected to be discarding them right like if this red card uh and red has been getting a lot of cathartic reunions is talking about lands in graveyard well how do they get there well i I've either pitched them or i'm just like sacking them so I think moving the Gitrog monster into this space that Wizards is kind of clearly defining as a red space lets you actually play with a red-green like lands list that it doesn't really exist right now and I guess is as Wizards intended, I would say. Mm -hmm. it, or it seems like what they're trying to point you in the direction of. The fact that, like Nick said, when you look at a Lord Windgrace list, the disparity between the green, the red, and the black cards is super high. Like, it's mostly green cards, some red cards, and like like Nick said, like two black cards. So when you switch the focus from kind of grindy value, like looking at lands, amassing lands, to this kind of discard synergy, this uh, sacking land synergy, this added landfall bonus that you do naturally get from green and green-red, all of a sudden the deck goes from kind of a combo-y list in black where you're just kind of grinding until you can get your deck more salvage and you win into an actual lands list. <laughs> like an actual list where you're you're playing with your cards, you're putting down lands, you're discarding things, you're dealing damage, you're getting bears, you're drawing cards, and I would say having a lot more fun than just black green Gitrog monster ever kind of wanted to. Yeah, I just think red synergizes with the Gitrog monster's abilities so much more than black does and so i think this is a great shift not only for negating the 
that like oops I win combo, but just allowing you to do more of what made the Gitrog monster exciting in the first place. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, I think we're ready to move on to the next commander. It is Azuri Claw of Progress. Two green blue for a 3-3 legendary elf warrior. Whenever a creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, you get an experience counter. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, put X plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control, where X is the number of experience counters you have. And uh, similarly to the Gitrog monster, the main flaw with Azuri Claw of Progress is that there just happens to be one card that just goes off with your commander and kind of ends the game as soon as it hits the battlefield. And that card is Sage of Hours. So Sage of Hours is one and blue for a 1-1 human wizard. It has heroic. Whenever you cast a spell that targets Sage of Hours, put a plus one plus one counter on it and remove all plus one plus one counters from Sage of Hours. For each five counters removed this way, take an extra turn after this one. So with Azuri on the battlefield, if you have five experience counters already, then you can just put five counters onto Sage of Hours, take an extra turn after this one, you get a whole new turn, which means you get a whole new combat step, which means you can put another five counters back on the Sage of Hours, and you just go infinite from there. It's fairly easy to assemble, especially because you're in a green color identity. Searching out creatures is very, very easy for you. Yeah, it's trivial. (laughs) Yeah. And of the um, 1,302 Azuri decks on EDH rec, 65% run Sage of Hours. So uh, a significant majority of these Azuri decks are just running this one-card combo. And I think that um, color-shifting this commander would not only like disrupt that combo and allow you to do more of what this deck suggests it's about, which is like playing weenies, building them up for value, uh, Again, like a slower, gradual increase in power and resources as opposed to like an oops, I win. That's that's not quite as satisfying for most players. Oh, yeah. that That is another thing, too. Like if I feel like maybe once a year Wizards puts out a commander that has like an oops, I win combo in it. What was that? The Hydra from last year, the Xerxes or whatever. Is it was that this year? Zyrus, I think. Zyrus, yeah, it came... Oh, no, that was this year because it was the Ikoria decks. But the the one where it was like, you cast X spells and you get Hydras, but also I go infinite with the Freed from the real. Oh, sorry, it's, no, it's not Zyrus. I think it's Zexara. Sorry. Zexara, there you go. Yeah, so, sorry, all these Ikoria names sound the same. I know, yeah. But like Zexara was like this year's, or one of this year's, where they, they for some reason, just love printing commanders that go off with just one other card. And uh, Azuri was... This year's, what was this, C? Uh, Commander 2015 decks, I believe. 15, yeah. So like the C15 decks, I remember seeing Azuri and everyone was talking about the Sage of Hours and it was really similar to the Gitrog experience where you your friend shuffles up and you watch him play and you're like, oh, this is kind of a cool deck. Oh, wow, that, that got really big really fast. Okay, and there's like a lot of interplay and then all of a sudden Sage of Hours is here and the game's over. And you had like one window to interact and if you didn't, then then that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you shuffle up and play again and it it really led to like pretty quick games because as nick said it's incredibly easy to find a creature in green and just games where it seemed like even the azuri player like unless that was the whole point they were trying to kind of cedh and just win as fast as possible like didn't have fun either 
because they just didn't get to play with any of their cards. <laughs> like, if all it takes is one worldly tutor to win the game with your commander, then your most of the other cards in your deck don't matter. Yeah, um, like you're gonna, it's so sad. you're gonna have hands where it's like you see your fathom, your fathom sage right next to your sage of hours, and it's like, well, I can you know play this fathom sage and draw a bunch of cards, or I can win the game right now, and it's like. Yeah. <laughs> What are you going to do in that situation? It, it really led to a situation where it, it even seemed like the people piloting the list for the most part were having a good time. And and the people that I've seen have the most fun with the Zuri are the people who don't focus on that combo. That like 40% of people on EDA track who just decided, no, I don't want to put Sage of Hours in my list and actually play with my cards because the cards that you do get to play with are pretty fun. And in the black green version of this list, you are playing with a lot of the same green cards, obviously. A lot of the same green cards work very well. But you're also getting a bunch of added benefits. You're, you are getting like a lot of the black Infect cards. You're getting like Hatred and, and Tainted Strike, things that can like really go off and synergize with the Azuri, but aren't completely busted. You get Corpse Jack Menace to like really like pile on those counters. There's a lot more additive things that you get by switching to black than controlly and uh just a Can not I, as synergistic stuff mm -hmm. yeah i just want to in introduce this a little bit um so azuri claw progress one of the things that's very common among the existing azuri builds is infect themes so if you look at the existing builds 45 percent of them are running blighted agent there's like a little bit of an infect sub theme going because proliferate naturally works so well with experience counters and plus plus one counters and also of course poison counters so by switching azuri from a blue green list into a black green list you get access to more of those infect cards and and really like currently there isn't a black green infect commander out there that really pushes that kind of strategy but so many of the infect creatures are low powered and of course like because they essentially deal quad damage every plus and plus one counter you put on them counts for a lot more than on any other non-infect creature so moving the deck into black green gives you access to more of those infect cards gives this archetype that was kind of looking for a home a supportive commander and it allows you to to play this fun i'm i'm going to play a bunch of weenies and all of a sudden, they're extremely scary. They're like that kind of play style becomes a lot more viable with uh, this this black green Azuri commander. I actually did not know that about the infect. That makes a lot of sense because there never was really like Glissa the Trader was the black green legend back in Scars, uh, which obviously does not focus on infect. So that that is true that black green never really got the the infect commander that I think they would have done nowadays, but. Honestly, this list is really cool. I am sad that Azuri is not black green. <laughs> Just because the, the synergies seem higher and the cards seem a lot more fun. So, I don't know. I think that's an interesting one. And uh, I'm curious to see what Wizards is going to print for the next commander and one card combo. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a end of the year, so we got a whole new year of, of expectations. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. All right. Uh We've got one last one we're going to touch on today. Do you want to read this off? 
yes. So this last commander is Amara Tandris, a 5-7 elf shaman for 5 green-white. That's right, 7 CMC. And she has prevent all damage that would be dealt to creature tokens you control. So right now, Amara is probably one of the least popular Selesnya commanders. So Selesnya has some some numbers in it, but she only has 50 decks on EDH rec right now. And I think a big reason for that is just when you're looking at other token options in Selesnya, it's pretty flooded. That's pretty much one of the only things that Selesnya does and does really well. So a seven mana commander that really doesn't offer you anything but protection from a Blasphemous Act, if that's going to happen, not really enticing. So the color shift that I'm recommending for Amara would be to shift it to blue-red. So the blue-red version of Amara would probably be a little bit cheaper, but it would say creature tokens you control have protection from red. And what this does is it lets you build a token list in blue-red that can be proactive with the board wipes. Currently, if you're looking at a Selesnya list, a lot of the tokens are, you know, they're 1-1 elf, elf warriors, they're 5-5 worms, stuff like that. Blue gives you the added benefit of adding these like clones, these more interesting tokens that you can kind of play with, right of replication and things like that. And on top of that, you do get to be proactive. Let's say you write of replication someone else's creatures and then you earthquake. All of a sudden your tokens are fine and you can get in there in a way that a lot of tokenless kind of just have to like build up and go over. So this kind of gives you a new angle for tokenless that lets you play with more interesting tokens and there at this point hasn't been a commander that grants protection from red mm-hmm. <laughs> to your stuff or even really just like protects your stuff very well from from wipes like that in red so i i think this would open up a, a new archetype this would be a really cool list if it were color shifted yeah i think this is a great choice as you mentioned like the existing amara build is like super reactive it doesn't uh I mean, yeah, like maybe it'll make your guys, your your token slightly better chump blockers or like make it slightly dif- more difficult for your opponents to block them. But it's it's really the initial design is just totally dependent on what your opponents are doing. So shifting it into an identity where you can control the ability a lot more seems like it's going to lead to much more fun gameplay. Yeah, that said, there is a criticism that Nick had that is totally true that I, I think we should address. <laughs> A weakness to that strategy <laughs> oh yeah the the one downside of course to this strategy is that like you know if you have a bunch of tokens and then you like blasphemous act or whatever or earthquake to try to clear the way for them they can of course just kill your amara and then you've wiped your own board yeah um <laughs> yeah you you spent an earthquake to also wipe your board <laughs> yeah so th- that is the the one danger that you have to be a little bit careful of but if you're in a blue red color identity you do have access to counter spells and that can hopefully prevent some of the blowouts yeah so this is something that i again like amara came out years ago and i remember talking to a friend like this would be cooler if it was it was blue right this would this is blue would be cooler and and really over the years the red has kind of come to mind too because not all, the blue would give you more interesting tokens to play with and the red gives you more interesting like aggressive means and and tokens too like red is at this point i would say as good as white at just flooding the board with tokens but 
someone could probably try and check me on that if they wanted to. I just think that there hasn't been a commander quite like this one yet. I think Brutaclad is a cool, weird token list, but this would be something else. This would be... Uh, Brutaclad isn't looking to uh, starve extinction after making a board, you know, where this would be looking to kind of clear the way in kind of a more novel approach and and using cards that I think people find more fun than just kind of shoving a bunch of Selesnia staples into an Amara build. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all of the commanders we have today. Uh, I think these are just the best examples we could find. But if you are aware of any other commanders that you think would make uh, it would become a lot more fun or a lot more interesting if they were switched into a different color identity. Uh, let us know. We're, we're definitely if you enjoyed this type of episode, we're happy to do more like it in the future. So yeah, just give us a holler. Yeah, and and just to kind of echo something that Nick said earlier, one of the reasons people have liked Commander Legends so much is it just kind of did what Nekusar did when Nekusar came out. Obeka having a Sundial of the Infinite as your commander. This is. A card that existed but wasn't legendary that opened up a new archetype. These kind of color shifts and and printing things that already exist but under like a new banner, under a new commander, that I think is equally important to the health and growth of the format to like recognize when there is something that can be shifted to a new color or just something like a black green infect commander that... I think a lot of, I just assumed existed and obviously does not. <laughs> so uh, I think moving forward, I, I'm really hopeful to see more cards that do do the blim treatment, that ho- hopefully we get more more space in colors that really need it and uh, less commanders that combo with one card because they're in a color that didn't really need it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Before we end, I just want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Eamon, Kevin, Matthew, Jamie, Russell, Kaidel, and Jeremy. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>